Another day's journey. So glad about it. It's good to see everyone here today. Amen. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. Thank you, choir and Brother Carter, for those songs of Zion. Amen. Brother Wheeler as well. Amen. And Reverend Stevens. Amen. For those songs of Zion. Are y'all ready for the word? Amen. Well, if you would go with me to the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, starting at verse 17. The gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, starting at verse 17. And when you have the scripture, uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Amen. Amen. The gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, starting at verse 17, you will find these words. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And our sermonic spotlight will be gleaned from verse 20, which says, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And I want to speak with you this afternoon for a few moments from the thought, a holiness that will end in hell. A holiness that will end in hell. Amen. And as we continue in our series of lessons on Jesus, the making, the mind, and the ministry, we find ourselves here in the Sermon on the Mount. We have discovered that the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto of the King, and the King being Jesus Christ. We know that Matthew's purpose for writing this gospel was to write it as Jesus as King. And so in our manifesto, we have saw the introduction which showed us that Jesus came to bring happiness. We have also seen who we are in the Beatitudes. And then in verses 13 through 16, we have discovered what it means to walk as one who is of the kingdom of God. But now we enter into verses 17 to 20, where Jesus spends time allowing us to see the mind of God as it relates to the law of God. One of the misconceptions of the multitudes that Jesus was speaking to is they believed that Jesus was so radically different from all of the other scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees that he must be coming to do away with the law. You must realize that the multitudes of this time were under heavy affliction by the oral and traditional laws that had been put on them that were not of the law in its purity. And so they were exasperated. They were tired of all of the little idiosyncrasies that the Pharisees had developed and the scribes had written to make the law way more arduous than it should be. And so now they're hearing this radical one named Jesus whom they're saying the way he comes is so much different than the scribes and the Pharisees. He must be getting ready to do away with the law. But we see in our text when it opens up in verse 17 that that's not why he came at all. Because our text says to us that the law, first of all, is preeminent. It is preeminent. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And it is also permanent. He said that not one tittle or one jot of the law would pass away. Heaven and earth would pass away before one tittle or one jot of the word passed away. And in that word tittle and in that word jot, we have the idea as if you would look at the printed F, capital F, and the printed capital E. The difference between a tittle is just that little difference between the F and the E that the little small seraph, if you will, at the bottom was missing. He said not one seraph would be removed. Heaven and earth would pass away and even that much wouldn't change or even one jot. Even one jot was signified as 
an accent over a letter. In other words, it's to us as if we would talk about the apostrophe. Not one seraph or one apostrophe of the word of God, of the law, would pass away until heaven and earth passed away. Jesus shows us the preeminence of the word of God that the law supersedes all things. There was no radical or no individual who was going to come in and do away with the law because the law is as permanent as God is. And so then we see that it is pertinent. He says to them, whoever breaks one of these of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, so shall be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The law is pertinent. The law is relevant for today and for yesterday because the law is permanent. He says, therefore, because it's preeminent, it transcends everything else, it's higher than everything else, and that it will never pass away, that it is pertinent to your life. He's saying if anybody tries to change it, anybody tries to teach it wrong or to do it incorrectly, then they will be subject to the ramifications of doing so. But there's something about this text in verse 19 that really gives us comfort in knowing this. That he said, he who teaches it wrong or does wrong will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Now God could have said that you won't even be in the kingdom. But he said the least. It's comforting to know that you will at least be there. But the kill point of the matter here is, you don't want to do either one of these things wrong because you want your reward. So Jesus is letting us see that because of our frailties that we can make mistakes when it comes to interpretation and doing of the law. James the apostle said, don't hark to yourselves many teachers for greater is their condemnation. It is a real responsibility to be a teacher of the word of God. My responsibility is going to be, I'm going to be responsible for every word that I teach. And I'm going to be responsible for every action that I make. And greater is my condemnation if I lead people astray. So God is letting us know that this is a serious matter. And that we don't need to be quick, fast, in a hurry to be a teacher or to lead people because greater is the condemnation. Which leads us now to our text of emphasis today. Our text of emphasis is found in verse 20. For I say to you, Jesus says, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means Enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the first question you must ask yourself is who were the scribes and who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a religious sect within the Judaism context. They were the religious leaders that the Jews looked up to. 
because they were so astutious or so learned in the word of God. You do know that the Old Testament outlines 613 do's and don'ts. And the Pharisees knew them all. They studied the word diligently to have the word in their heart in a way to be knowledgeable, but not in a way to do it. Why do I say this? Because when we read the scriptures, Jesus exposes them as those who try to use the law for their own advantage. There was a term in the Bible called Corban. We talked about this at Bible study on Wednesday, and it's the whole idea of the fact that the Pharisees were able to say that they could not take care of their parents in their own old age because their assets were Corbin, which meant their assets had been given to God. So deep in their hearts, they really didn't want to take care of their parents in the first place, but they used their sense of religion and their order and their oral traditions to set up a situation called Corbin that their assets would be given to the church or to the temple so that they wouldn't take care of their own families. But see, the trick of it was that Jesus could see right through that mess. Jesus was able to see through it and see that as they gave their assets through the front door of the temple, they went around back and got it for their own selfish use. So instead of taking care of their parents like they should, they had set up a situation by which they had made an excuse for them not to do so as looking pious, giving to the temple, but through the back they were taking it out and using it for their own selfish reasons. So who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a religious sect who put themselves up to look good before men, but didn't look worth nothing before God. So then we ask the question, who were the scribes? The scribes were really not a sect at all. The scribes could be Pharisees, the scribes could be Sadducees, the scribes could be Essenes, the scribes could be Zealots. But they were, if you will, the lawyers of their time. They were the ones who wrote down the scriptures and wrote down the interpretations. So they were constantly writing the scriptures and were also seen in high esteem because after writing the scriptures so many times, they also knew them by heart as well. But they knew them from a knowledge, but not from a spirit. They had a zeal for God, but it was not according to spiritual knowledge. They were carnal beings who set themselves up to be religious leaders that everybody else would bow down to because of their intellect. When they should have been getting out of the way and because of their intellect showing the people the true and living God. So this leads us to these things about the Pharisees and these things about the scribes. They sought to look holy before men. They sought to sit in the choice places of Moses and be in between the people and the law. They sought to be those who were the authorities in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. 
they found themselves being those who would sit in the high places and look good and cause the people to look at them as somebody special. I don't want us to look too far down on the Pharisees without looking at ourselves. Without looking at ourselves and realizing that within each and every one of us is the potential to be just like them. The potential to use our gifts and our abilities to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying God. To use our gifts of of work and of gifts of discernment, our gifts of whatever gift that God has given us of singing, of preaching, of teaching to say, look at me and look how good I am. Look how talented I am, but not give the glory to God. And it's easy to happen when people are saying good things about you and telling other folks how good you are. It's easy to get puffed up and to start to believe your own clippings. And so it was with the Pharisees because it was a vicious circle and that they set themselves up and then promulgated this whole mastery or masquerade into the people and they began to push and puff them up and it became nothing but a vicious cycle. But be careful. The same thing can happen here in the contemporary church if you ain't careful. You can get puffed up because folks are saying how good you did, how well you did what you do. But we must always remember that it's yet not I, but it is the Christ that's in us. We must never forget that we at the best of our righteousness are nothing but filthy rags. We must never forget That if it had not been for the grace of God, oh, where would we be? So our text goes on to let us see that the scribes and the Pharisees created a standard that made others feel less holy than themselves. If we really look at the scribes and the Pharisees, they really had a self-confidence problem in themselves. Because they were not confident in God, but they tried to find confidence in themselves. And the way they did it is by propping themselves up and pushing others down. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Where do you get that from? Well, I believe if you turn over to Luke chapter 18, there is a little story there. There's a story there about one of the Pharisees doing their prayers and one publican while they were there. And the Pharisee continued to pray saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. I'm not like him. I pray twice. I fast twice a day. And he went on with a litany of things that he did And he kept pointing out what the publican didn't do. But the Bible lets us know that he prayed unto himself. His prayers didn't go any farther than the ceiling. Because they were self-righteous prayers. They were designed for the purpose of putting others down so that they could lift themselves up. But don't be too down. Don't be too hard on that Pharisee. 
Because we do that even ourselves. Sometimes we look at how we act and what we do and what we don't do, but then we look at our brother or our sister or somebody outside and we begin to talk about how bad they are as if we were at another level than they are. We begin to talk about how they are out all night fiending after drugs or out all night drinking alcohol or we talk about our brother or sister who's caught up in a sexual immorality or one thing or another and we look at ourselves and say hey I don't do this or I don't do that. We may not be in the public square just like this Pharisee was but we do it ourselves. So we must take this lesson and look introspectively at ourselves and realize that we're no better than anybody else. Just like Paul said He said, for by the grace of God, I am who I am. Paul said, when I was a Pharisee, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said, I was at the religious levels high. He said that I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said that I knew the law backwards and forwards. But he said, since I met Jesus, I found out that all that as as dumb and I count it as nothing for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ now that's how we've got to be we've got to stop looking at other folks and what they're doing just because we're not doing it it's only by the grace of God we are all at the same level at the cross no matter what your sin is and my sin one sin will send us to hell but we don't want to have this fake and phony holiness like the Pharisees had because it will send you to hell because if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes you will by no means enter into heaven and so that lends me to my last point here today and that are that these guys were hypocrites they said one thing but they did another And so now for the church that is now under the auspices of God Almighty who is now called the body of Christ. Are we hypocrites? Do we say that we love God but disobey his commandments? Are we hypocrites that we dress real nice and look real churchy but We treat our brother wrong. Do we backbite and talk about one another? Do we set up traps for one another? Do we do things that are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord? Do we come into the church house lifting up holy hands, but going out into the streets and doing all manners of evil? Do we treat our children and our parents wrong? Do we not take care of those that we have promised God we would? Do we go out and then we look over the poor person who doesn't look just like us? Do we neglect the weightier matters of love and of mercy and of compassion? And do we do the things that we call holy? Do we give of our tithes and our time inside the church but forget about those outside? Jesus is saying today that if you're going to have 
entrance into the kingdom of God, that your righteousness must exceed this of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I'm here to let you know that there's only one way to get the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. The Bible says that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. He didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. And because he fulfilled it, every boy and every girl, every man and every woman who will put their faith in Jesus Christ shall overcome, shall be righteous in the sight of the Lord. You shall exceed if you're in Jesus because Jesus exceeded them all. The Bible says that he came down through 42 generations. He was the promise of Abraham, the promise of David, the promise of Noah, the promise of Ezekiel, the promise of Jeremiah, the promise of Hobadiah, the promise of Hosea. He was the promise of the prophets. And one day he came by a virgin. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes. He was born in a manger because there wasn't any room in the end. I believe Jesus was born in a manger so that he could go as low as he needed to go. That no matter how low you have gone, he can always pick you up. And the Bible says that he grew in stature and in wisdom. Oh Lord, yes he did. And by the time he turned 30 years old, he said, I must be about my father's business. And Jesus went along the villages teaching them of the gospel of God. He loved them and he took care of them. He healed them and he made them well. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to those who could not hear. He gave speech to those who could not talk. He gave walk to those who were lame. His name is Jesus. And not Jesus. The Bible tells us that one evening he was praying for you and me in the garden of Gethsemane and his sweat was coming like beads of blood. But the Bible says that he had one mission and that was to die for the sins of the world. He told his Judgment Hall to Judgment Hall from Annas to Caiaphas 
And at this time, the doors of the church are open. If there is somebody here who doesn't know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the pardon of their sins, today is the day of salvation. You can come today. If you don't know him as your Savior and your Lord, if you don't know that your business is fixed with Jesus, that you don't have to worry about where your end will be, and that every day that he talks with you and walks with you, and he tells you that you are his own, right now is the good time to get to know him. Because you don't have forever to play with Jesus. You need to get serious about him right now because you don't know whether you have another hour, another minute, or even a few seconds after you hear these words. But you need to get to know him today. You can come by letter. You can come by Christian experience. You can come for a candidate for baptism because right now is the day of salvation. You can come today. It won't cost you nothing because Jesus has already paid it all. He paid it all almost 2,000 years ago in a place called Gargatha's Hill. Yes, he did. You can get to know him today. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord. 